Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Even now, give us ears to hear what you want to say for your glory, for the sake of Christ, your son, we pray. Amen. 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 You can be seated. And I want to turn your attention to that that passage in Ephesians. This is on page nine in the bulletin where um, Paul really is is pinning a prayer here, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise to God for all the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And I like how one commentator described this opening of the letter to the Ephesians. This, uh, this picture is refreshing for us this time of year as, uh, as we suffer with the heat. William Henderson said that the opening verses of Ephesians is like a snowball that tumbles down a hill and is picking up volume as it goes. This is kind of a breathless prayer of praise as Paul recounts all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And it just kind of picks up steam. And it's a chorus of praise. And what Paul is wanting us to do here is to join this chorus of praise. Sometimes our praise of God can grow, uh, uh, we can grow a little tired. We can grow a little complacent. And so there are times where we need to stir ourselves up again to understand and to realize and to meditate on and reflect on all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And a passage like this helps us to stir our hearts again to praise God. It's also a very good passage to kind of take and ask yourself, have I experienced these things in my life? Can I genuinely join this course of praise? Can I get excited along with the Apostle Paul about the spiritual realities that he's praising God for? Is there any place in my life that resonates with what the Apostle is saying here? As he begins to count the spiritual blessings, if you will, that God has given us in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that word, That phrase, heavenly places, refers to spiritual reality. Not just heaven, but when Paul uses it here in Ephesians, he's talking about the unseen world, the spiritual realm. So these are blessings that we experience spiritually in this life, and there are blessings that he talks about in the life to come. But these are realities that we experience now because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about these blessings that he praises God for. First of all, the blessing of being chosen by God. And then the blessing of being redeemed by God. And then the blessing of a hope-filled future that God gives us. Okay, so that's what we'll look at this morning. The blessing of being chosen by God. Paul says in verse four, even as he chose us. In Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, before God created anything, we were part of His plan. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That's an incredible thought. 
that God from eternity chose us in Christ before creation itself came into existence. Paul goes on to to use even stronger language in verse five. He says that he in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And then in verse 11, again, he uses that term. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So these terms and these ideas being chosen by God, being elected by God, being predestined by God, those raise a lot of questions for us, don't they? These are controversial issues that theologians have debated for centuries And uh, I don't think we're going to solve the issues in the next five to seven minutes on this section of Ephesians. But I am going to try to address some questions that people have about that in just a minute. But I want to pull back from that, pull back from the controversy and the questions and just understand what Paul is saying here. So we can celebrate this blessing, this good news. What Paul is saying is, is that if you're in Christ. It means that God has loved you before you loved him. If you're in Christ, that means that anything before you did anything to please God, God, out of his good pleasure, chose you to be part of his family. And that is something that we can celebrate. We can give God praise for choosing us. We've all had the experience of being chosen. And... um, Oftentimes, when it comes to our human relationships, we're chosen based on this sense that we might have some value or worth or we can bring something to the table. You know, so the athlete who's chosen for the team is chosen because of his abilities. It's it's wonderful to be chosen when, when we're the one that gets the promotion. The boss gives us the promotion or the raise that we've earned or a teacher singled us out for praise in front of the class. Uh, my greatest experience of this, of, of, of being chosen, is when my wife said yes to the great question, will you marry me? Will you choose me? It's wonderful to be chosen, but the good news is that God, who knows all about us, He knows the good and the bad and the ugly, He chooses us not based on our merits, but based on His mercy. Not based on what... We can bring to the table, but because he wants to gather us around his table as sons and daughters. So Paul says, not only does God choose us, he brings us into this family. He becomes our heavenly father. He adopts us as sons and daughters. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse four. What a great blessing. And we we praise God for bringing us into his family. You know, in a, in a good family, in a good loving family, and no earthly family does this perfectly, but, but we love our children just based on who they are, not on what they do. We want to convey to our children and to our grandchildren, you are valued just because of who you are, just because you belong to this family, you are treasured and loved. And Paul is saying God has brought us into his family like that. He's made us part of his family. He's adopted us based on his unconditional love. 
this teaching of Paul, election, predestination, being chosen, that raises a lot of questions. And uh, some of the questions are, are addressed here, and some of the questions that we raise, Paul doesn't answer. And so we have to live with this unanswered questions, with mystery. And we say it a lot as Anglicans, we have to be comfortable with mystery. There are things that, are, that don't get tidied up logically as Anglicans. But we have to go with what God has revealed to us in Scripture. But one thing people will say, if this doctrine of election is true, then it doesn't matter what you believe. You're already elected, so it minimizes the role of trust, of, of faith. But notice what Paul says here in verse 13. He says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, then you were sealed. So you have to believe in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't minimize the responsibility to believe. Other people have said, well, if the doctrine of election is true, then it minimizes the role of our behavior. It lessens moral responsibility. But notice again what Paul says in this passage. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? So we could live however we want? No. That we should be what? Holy and blameless before him. We're holy and blameless because we're united by faith to Christ Jesus. You know, that's a very high bar, isn't it? Be holy and blameless before the Lord. There's something called positional holiness and uh, practical holiness. Positional holiness is because we are in Christ in faith. His righteousness is our righteousness. When God looks at us from this position of unity with Christ, he sees us as holy. The righteousness of Christ covers us. That's positional holiness. But then we're called to practical holiness, to live this out in our everyday life by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're, we're called to walk in good works that God has prepared for us. So that's practical holiness or practical righteousness. My point is that for Paul, this idea of being elected, being predestined, does not preclude the responsibility to believe or then to live in holiness before the Lord. Lots of questions are raised with this doctrine. Paul doesn't answer all the questions. But the main thing that he's driving at is, can you, if you're in Christ, recognize that you are in him because God in His love and mercy reached out to you before you could reach out to Him? Can you see God's grace in bringing you into His family and join this course of praise? Can you look back on your life and see how God has pulled you to Himself, called you to Himself? I can look back on my life and see times in my life where I was really running from God, but God put roadblocks in the way. God brought people into my life or books into my life or ideas into my life or sometimes even music to steer me back into the right direction. His love continually reaching out to us. So we are to praise Him for that and rest secure in His love. Praise God for choosing us. And then praise God for saving us from sin. That's what verse 7 is all about. We have redemption through His blood, he says. That is the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. God calls us to Himself. 
God brings us into his family. But then he's got to deal with something that is going to be a barrier to him. And that is our sin. Our sin problem has to be dealt with. And so God, out of love, he says, according to the riches of his grace, he redeems us. That image is that that idea has the image of being loosed from something. It goes back to the Old Testament times where you redeemed a slave who was in bondage. The slave could do nothing to get himself out of bondage, but had to be redeemed. We've been loosed from the penalty and power of sin by the blood of Christ. And we've been forgiven our trespasses. And God has to do that in order to have this relationship with us as sons and daughters. He's our father. We are sons and daughters. He's got to remove that sin barrier. He can't overlook it. He can't overlook it because of his holy nature. I remember one time when I was in college, I went to a concert by a, gr- a great guitarist, well, a world-famous guitarist. Some of you know the name, Phil Keggy. And he played, it was just Phil Keggy and his guitar on stage. And so uh, some of us from our college went to this other college to listen to this concert by Phil Keggy. And one of the guys that was in my group, a friend, kind of a friend of a friend, this guy named Bernie. And Bernie had perfect pitch. And uh, now Bernie is a music producer in Nashville. And uh, he, he was a very talented musician, had perfect pitch and all the rest. And I was sitting next to, not Bernie, but to another friend. And I noticed as the concert got going, Bernie is squirming and kind of holding his ears a little bit. And I said to my friend, what's going on with Bernie? And he said, the guitar is slightly out of tune. And I couldn't hear it. It was so small, but, but he picked it up. And right after he said that, Phil Keggy stopped and said, I've got to tune my guitar. He didn't hear what Bernie said. He just knew it was out of tune as well. I can kind of hear when things are out of tune, but not at that fine level. But the point is this. He couldn't overlook it because of who he was. He couldn't overlook this discordant music that was happening. And that is how it is with God. God in himself is perfect holiness and goodness. He can't overlook sin and evil. It's not like he's an angry teacher who relishes catching kids in trouble and giving them demerits and passing out punishments. No, it's the fact that sin and evil go against God's nature, go against the grain of God. So this God who loves us and calls us to a relationship with him has to do something about the sin problem. And he's done that at the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul praises God for this redemption being set free from the penalty and the power of sin, from the guilt and the burden and the shame, and removing the the just wrath of God against sin at the cross. It's very important for us to, to recall that we could not do this on our own, be in this kind of relationship with God. God had to do this for us. And it's like those boys that were rescued from the cave. They were powerless. And thank God that it turned out the way it did. It's an amazing result. And we do thank God for that. But those boys who were in the cave in Taiwan, wasn't it Taiwan? And they... Thailand. Thailand. Thank you. Thailand. Yeah. You know, some of those boys couldn't swim. They had to be completely... They were completely dependent upon their rescuers. And these these men had to, to swim with them and give them the oxygen tanks as they swam under the water. There's nothing they could do on their own. They were completely in the dark and helpless. And that is our condition in our sin, apart from the intervention of God. And in his mercy, he has rescued us. He's delivered us. 
He's redeemed us. And we can praise Him for that. We can join this course of praise. And then finally, He has blessed us with a hope-filled future. He calls us to Himself. He saves us from sin. And He blesses us with a hope-filled future. The idea that the history of our world is not meaningless. That history has a direction. It has a God-ordained direction. And of course, those who don't believe in God, those who reject God, don't have this hope that history is headed somewhere. A God-ordained direction. One of the leading atheists of our time, Richard Dawkins, has written this. He says, I look out on the universe and what I see is no purpose, no design, no good, no evil. There is no good, there is no evil. There's no design, there's no purpose. There's only blind, pitiless indifference. And many people hear that message coming from people like Richard Dawkins. A great history professor at Cambridge University, G.N. Clark, said there is no plan in history to be discovered. And I don't believe in any future consummation. But friends, brothers and sisters, if we believe in the God of the Bible, we do not have to succumb to that kind of pessimism and the nihilism that leads from that kind of pessimism. If we believe in the God of the Bible, we believe in the God who intervenes in history. Not only that, we, we believe in the God who predicts history. He prophesies. We see Amos in our Old Testament reading. He was called to be a prophet. And we see these prophecies that take place in the Old Testament and then they're fulfilled later, hundreds of years later. There is a God-ordained direction to history. And so we believe in this hope-filled future that God gives us. And He says the Holy Spirit now is a guarantee of this future that is to come. The Holy Spirit in our life Holy Spirit in our life, the love and the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit that we experience and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that is, he says, like a down payment of the inheritance that is to come. And it's not only the experience that we will have in heaven that he's talking about. He's talking about, as he says in verse 10, in the fullness of time, God is going to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things in earth. God is going to be revealed as the center point of where history has been heading. That word that Paul uses here, unite all things, that phrase, it, 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 was, it was used to um, refer to bringing things to a head. Things are going to be brought to a head in Christ in time. It was used in rhetoric to talk about summing up a speech, coming to a conclusion, which I'm going to do here in just a moment. <laughs> But it was used in mathematics to talk about adding up a, a series of numbers to bring it to a, a conclusion, a sum. Or even knotting together a bunch of cords and tying it together. In other words, what Paul is saying that it's going to happen at the end of time. There's not going to be any loose ends. And everything is going to be united in Christ. All things will be united, meaning the creation itself is going to be redeemed. And all those who are in Christ are going to be brought together. There's not going to be any more division in the body of Christ. Won't that be a blessing? All things brought under one head, Christ, at the end of time. This is the hope that we have. And this hope, he says, it's guaranteed to come because God is directing history. 
And we personally have this inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, as the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And we can look forward to that. That is eternal life in the presence of the glorious God that we love and worship now. And we get a foretaste now of His wonderful, loving presence through the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then we'll see face to face. That's in store for the believer, for the son and daughter of God who's in Christ. These wonderful blessings. God chose us. God chose me. God chose you. God redeemed us. Dealt with our sin out of His grace and mercy. And God has given us this glorious future to look forward to. So friends, can you join this course of praise? Meditate on these things this week. When you feel kind of tossed and turned, when you sense the pessimism of the world or going through your own difficulties or struggles, count your blessings, your spiritual blessings that are in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to recall all that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We need this Spirit-inspired perspective, God. We need these inspired words to fill our hearts and minds each and every day. These truths, these realities. To not just be words on a page for us, but to be spiritual reality in our life. I pray if there's anybody here for whom these words are just words on a page, that by your Holy Spirit, you will, you will draw them to your Son, Jesus Christ. And that their prayer would be, Lord, help me to know these things for myself. I pray that if there's anybody here who's distant from you, have never put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, that they would trust in you even now. Assure them of the forgiveness of sins and the hope of glory. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.